What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, we find out just how much money Mike and Brad would spend to save my life. And we'll figure it out on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Threequel. As always, I am with both of my co-hosts, Brad Miller. What's up? And Mike Duranic. So good to have the three of us back together again. Um, and glad to be recording the remainder of this month uh, as all three of us. Yeah. And my, Mike, I don't know about you, but we, how much would we have to get from somebody to take Ethan back isn't that what he was asking how how much someone would have to pay us to take him it's it's true and I mean in situations like this I would say that you know I can't be bought but I'm sure that there is a price high enough that uh, that I'd be willing to take him back if somebody was willing to drive the price up enough how about you um as long as I didn't have to hang out with Mel Gibson I think I would go ahead and take Ethan back oh there you go that works I, I am glad that I'm higher on your list of people you'd like to spend time with than Mel. That does make me feel a, a little bit somewhat not horrible about myself. Um, we are talking a Mel Gibson film, uh, of course, as we've alluded to. It's Brad's pick for the month of November. It is Ransom. came out in 1996, starring Mel Gibson, Rene Russo, Gary Sinise, directed by Ron Howard. So uh, some people that we've talked about before. Um, doing a different type of movie than we've talked about with any of them, really. So it'll be interesting to get into that. Let's uh, wind the clocks back. I'll ask the question I always do, and that is, what was your guys' first experience with Ransom? Did you see it in the theaters in 96? Were you guys you know, very, very excited for the next Mel Gibson film to be hitting theaters? Did you catch it a little bit later? Uh, uh, what was that experience like for you guys? Uh, well, like several others that were back in this time frame, I really don't remember if I saw it in the theater first. Um, my guess is it's probably a blockbuster rental. Um, but as popular as Mel Gibson was back then, um, and I also, that would have been right around the time. Well, if this came out in 96, that'd have been prior to me having my driver's license. So I doubt my parents took me to see Ransom because I got my driver's license in early 97 so uh yeah this would probably be a blockbuster for me yeah i'm sure that i saw this on the the good old vhs and i was mentioning to uh ethan off the air that by far the best uh, part of this rewatch and it's not actually disparaging the movie as much as it sounds like uh is the fact that uh, the the one singular trailer on the dvd that uh, we all received was a um, just walk down memory lane of movies that came out in and around this time, those those 90s action flicks and dramas. And I love the uh, buy it on VHS or DVD. And uh, so I'm pretty sure that this one would have been a VHS watch, probably from my brother's collection uh, from back in that era when he was actually working at the Blockbuster and would buy the uh, hand-me-down videos uh, with regularity. Uh, this was not a theater watch for me, um, as a one and a half year old. Um, I guess maybe it could have been, I don't know. I might've been there, but I don't remember it. Um, the first time I remember watching this movie was on Netflix. I believe I was in high school, um, maybe early college. What drew me to it was, I distinctly remember people saying to me like, Oh, Ransom's one of those ones that has a twist that you'll never see coming. 
And so I was pretty disappointed the first time I saw it because that's not what this movie's about. Like, I don't know if they just meant that it was surprising the way Mel Gibson handled it or what. There's not really a twist. In fact, watching it this time, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll be able to pick up on the fact that Gary Sinise is the bad guy. And they don't hide it. So I don't know. Someone lied to me. I was pretty disappointed the first time I saw it. I'm happy to tell everyone that this was a much uh, more enjoyable rewatch this time, having uh, myself a little recalibrated. The twist isn't that he's the bad guy. I think the bigger twist is that he's seemingly going to get away with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's getting that check. And then the kid pees himself and, and, you know, kind of lets the cat out of the bag a little bit. I think that's more of a twist, in my opinion, because, yeah, the Gary Sinise reveal was it was so close to the beginning and you hadn't had a chance to develop any kind of relationship with the character. So to me, that wasn't much of a twist at all. But there is that small twist at the end where or towards the end where he's revealed as the bad guy to Mel Gibson. Yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, people were trying to sell me on, but like I said, enjoyed it much more this time around. Let's play the game uh, that we enjoy playing, the Rotten Tomatoes game. Now, Brad, we, Mike and I have just kind of been uh, playing with each other. Um, the uh, first time I'm glad month. I was not there for that. It's entirely your fault, Brad. It wouldn't have had to happen if you would have showed up. So, uh, you know, don't take, don't take the high road. When there's, only, when there's only two people there, there's only so much you can do. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose that's true. Enjoyable uh, all the same. Made for great content. Um, Mike is back in his rightful place. He, he won both rounds of the game that we played. What? I am so surprised. <laughs> well, Brad, I'm looking forward to you totally not cheating on this one and hitting it directly on the head. Yeah, so <laughs> Mike is going to go first and give a little guess as to where Ransom is ranking uh, in terms of the Rotten Tomatoes uh, tomato meter. So, Mike, wh- where do you think this is sitting? Okay, so as I mentioned, I-, I saw this wonderful trailer at the start of this DVD of all of these like movies that came out around this time. Um, and it made me think, so this movie was being put uh, up in the same kind of category as movies that we love, at least two of us, like The Rock, and movies that we love but aren't nearly as good as The Rock, like Con Air, Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, things of that nature, right? Um and so as I looked at that, I thought there's no way that this movie can be that high. As I rewatched it, I agree. So I'm going to put it in a solid C. It is a 75 for me. And Brad, um, you can snipe me one way or the other. Well, I, I appreciate you picking that number because that makes it a little bit easier. I think that just based on uh, his popularity and that the movie's not a total stinker, I'll go one higher and go 76. So we have 75 and 76, and now it is time for everyone to find out which one of these two cheated this week. I think no matter what, if you win this game, it's just assuming that you cheated. Naturally. Um, the only way to win at this game is to lose. Well, uh, you guys did manage. We, we got it all on the line here. So your guys' two guesses are right. I got three numbers in a row. The audience had this at a 62, quite a gap to the 74. Yes. Uh, that the critics had it at. (laughs) So a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mike even gets to see the proof of it. Look at that. Um, But I wondered why why last night Jenny was asking me if I wanted $74. And I was like, no, I don't want your money. 
She's like, you sure you don't want $74? And now that explains why she was asking me that. She was trying she was trying to help you cheat because that's that's how she is. <laughs> <laughs> so then let me ask the next question that always follows that as we kind of get into our conversation about this film. Are the critics correct? Is Ransom a 74% film? Uh, what, what are you guys going to go with? Do you, do you think that the critics were right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd have it just a, a tad higher than that. Um, but I think 74 is not a bad number to reach on this scale. I think in, in our educational scale, it's worse than what it would be on Rotten Tomatoes. So, um, yeah, I don't have any problem with where they land at 74. Yeah, I mean, I, I put it at 75 because I thought it was a solid C movie. Um, I think it's better than some of the other movies that had trailers at the beginning of this. That's the last time I'll mention the trailer, but it was it was great. Um, and so I think that, you know, ultimately it's mid 70s is, is probably about right. Certainly the critics are more right than the audience uh, when you go all the way down to a 62. Yeah, I think the audience have it a little too low. I think I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say the critics are wrong. I, I think it's about a 70 i think it's an even 70 for me it's in that range i think the best part about this movie is the twist that it takes on the genre so now that there's necessarily a twist of something shocking you know like someone's bad that was good i kept actually convincing myself that somehow delroy lindo was going to be a bad guy that i was like maybe i'm maybe i forgot something he i bet he's bad um but he wasn't uh i just think i think the best part is just you know, suddenly this guy is like, no, screw all of you. Like, I'm going to put a hit out on these people. Um, and, and I appreciate the the leap of faith that they took uh, in really kind of subverting the genre, uh, which is kind of what you have to do, right? Like Mel Gibson kind of at the peak of his powers there in the 90s. You get Ron Howard to direct this movie. It's not just going to be your basic paint-by-numbers uh, kidnap thriller film. So they did have to change it up a little bit. And I, I appreciate what they did. Um, as we get into it, I mean, we've talked about Mel Gibson before a couple of times, and I remember distinctly saying the last time we talked about him, I don't think we had, this is one of those times that no, Ethan, you dummy, we've actually talked about him a lot, but this, you know, Brad, I know you made your comment about not wanting to be around him. I wouldn't want to be around the person, but again, this is, we have this conversation a lot about the art from the artists and things like that. This is another one of the movies that reminds me that again, not a good person. I do enjoy Mel Gibson's work. I enjoy seeing Mel Gibson on screen when we get the opportunity to watch Mel Gibson movies. And there's a reason that he burned as bright as he did. Cause he's very charismatic and it's very easy to watch him on screen. Yeah. I mean, there was a time where I, I didn't miss a Mel Gibson film and now, I mean, it's, his career's taken such a turn that I would be surprised possibly if I ever see one again, um, I'd have to really be intrigued by the film to sit down and say, you know what, I want to spend two hours watching this guy now. Um, just based on, um, I guess a lot of it's hearsay. I don't know the guy personally, but you hear a lot of, uh, kind of rotten things about him and his personality and the way he treats people and, and such. Um, and this, I think there's been some, um, bigotry there that's come from him um towards other people so you know just not the type of guy you want to be around but um yeah back when this came out this was you know he was on quite a stretch of being one of the biggest movie stars in the world um going from you know like mid 80s until um 
I don't know where it really started to decline. Maybe Passion of the Christ um, is when some things started coming out about him. Uh, so what was that, like late 90s, early 2000s? 2004. Uh, yeah, so um, this was right there in the middle of, of all of that. So uh, definitely worth the watch then. And he's still entertaining, you're right. Like, um, But... Uh, you know, he's, he's much older now, you know, a lot more things about him. So he's just kind of lost some of that appeal. So you're not going to be at the midnight premiere of passion of the Christ resurrection. <laughs> um, no, for sure. I, I don't know if I'll ever see the film or not. Um, things like that intrigue me just because I want to see what his take is on it. But, um, uh, I'm glad I saw Passion of the Christ. I saw that in the theater, but um, uh, it's not one that I've been able to put on since then. It was so hard to see, so graphic. So, um, uh, you know, it, it messed with the senses enough that it was like, yep, I've seen it once and that's enough. And I, I it might even trickle into the second one and saying, like, I don't really have a desire to see this one either. You could have convinced me you were kidding about that, but that's actually real. It's in pre-production. Okay, so that's that's a real thing, huh? Yes. I I was looking at, at Ethan, trying to figure out if he was just messing with both of us, and then Brad, you answered so confidently that I was like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I've I've heard for years that this thing's gonna yeah, come out, okay. so it's it's been around for a while. Um, something about what happens to to Jesus in those three days from death to resurrection, I I believe is the premise of the film but That's what they've always uh, said but uh yeah so it could be interesting but it's probably not going to be very biblically accurate it's or unless it's just a camera sitting on him yeah. just literally laying in the tomb for three days and that's, that's what you're well, watching for three days jim, jim caviezel's been pretty busy they can't get three days of him just laying still so it's been really hard to get this thing cut together <laughs> that's right but then you know the, the climax of the movie is great because <laughs> at the end of three days of just non-stop laying still he sits up yeah so. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, after I said biblically accurate, I realized, like, that's not possible because everything would be um, just taken, you know, based on imagination, since there is nothing written about what happens in those three days, obviously. So um, he really can take creative control of whatever he wants that to be during that time. So this is, this um, is like how the Lord of the Rings people on Amazon are writing about uh, the second age. And they're like, well, it's really kind of a blank slate. We can make up whatever we want within this. So, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I did myself the favor of clicking on the page for the film and the synopsis reads a sequel to passion of the Christ focuses on the events that occurred three days between crucifixion and resurrection. When Jesus Christ descended to Abraham's bosom to preach and resurrect Old Testament saints. Didn't he ascend? <laughs> oh, wow. Other things to laugh about in that sentence. But first off, <laughs> they have him going the wrong direction. Well, know, I think I that was the crea creative stuff he talked about doing is, you know, what if he, he went to defeat hell by going to hell, I think is uh, er part of the premise of the film. Are we going to see Abraham's breasts or is that going to be kind of left up to our interpretation <laughs> at the end of the film? And is Abraham all of Abraham down in hell that he has to descend to or is it yeah. just his, his bosom? And then how many Old Testament saints are in hell? Yeah, which which ones are we talking? Like, are we bringing David back? Like, did he get back into sainthood after the whole, you know... <laughs>
watch this just to just to have something like this to talk i'm more interested i was gonna say that little preview (laughs) there was a zero zero percent chance of me seeing this in theaters it is definitely greater than a zero percent now after reading that it sounds like the 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 jesus version of avengers endgame like you know you've got you got moses coming in you got noah coming in david coming in this could be exciting it's kind of like the the bible version of expendables is what i there, there oh, you go. There you go. Well, see, Mel Gibson still giving gifts all these years later. All of that to be said, he, you know, Passion of the Christ, whatever you feel about the movie, it is a well-made film and he had a vision and he executed it. And it is something that stuck around for as long as it has. Apocalypto, I don't know if you guys have seen that. Mm-hmm. Very, but a incredibly well-made film. Once again, not the easiest thing to watch. There's some graphic stuff in it, but again, a very, very well-made film. And then Hacksaw Ridge, he finally was like, maybe I'll make a movie that people would actually see um and i think hexar ridge is great so he's talented he's very talented behind the chair he hasn't done a lot of it um we'll see if he ends up making um abraham's boobies or not uh slated for 2024 we'll find out but he is talented he had a long career obviously the issues he's had outside of his career have led to him not working quite that often in, in the latter stages um, other people, you know, we've talked Rene Rousseau before. I mean, this is still Rene Rousseau in the nineties. Uh, we talked about her with major league. Um, we talked about her with the, the lethal weapon franchise. She's gorgeous and amazing. And I've always loved seeing her pop up and stuff. Um, and aside from kind of how she got typecast in the nineties, she actually is a fantastic actress. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see it a ton in this, that she really good scene when Sinise attacks her in the church um acting wise but you don't get to see it a ton in these movies but she's a she's a really really good actress i don't know if you guys have a ton to say about her um this is our first opportunity to talk about gary sinise yeah i don't think that there's anything to say about uh, mind at least renee russo that i haven't uh, before brad no i enjoy her i think that uh you know when she popped up in films like this it was like oh hey cool renee russo but she was never a, a draw um, you know, I, I, I like her in Tin Cup a lot and, um, yeah, always, always a favorite of mine when she's in, in these films, but, uh, nothing super important. Gary Sinise is kind of, uh, he doesn't blow my hair back or anything, but, uh, I do enjoy, I do enjoy his work just fine. I think the most impressive thing with Sinise in this is just for me, I, I don't know a ton of his stuff. I know him from Forrest Gump and my parents watching CSI New York. But that being said, I've never seen Gary Sinise play a bad guy, and he was really good. I mean, I thought I, that I honestly I think that's the best part of this movie to me. I would say I don't know if you guys have a different pick in that, but I'd say he's the MVP of the movie. I think he's fantastic as just like the cold, heartless killer that is somehow getting bested by this guy that's doing everything wrong, right? Like everything Mel Gibson does in this movie is not how he would handle this. He's an idiot. Um, but somehow it's working and to see his frustration and the performance he gives and the way he does turn on all those people that I, I thought Sinise won the movie for me. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with that, but I thought he was really, really good in a role that I've never seen him in. Yeah. I think this is peak Gary Sinise, right? Um, you have Forrest Gump, obviously in, in the role of Lieutenant Dan, which is, is his peak right yeah. before this. Uh, then in 95, you've got Apollo 13. Oh yeah. We, um, we have talked which about, we have talked about See, we have done it. Yeah. Um, and then you've got ransom here. Uh, and then, you know, he, he had a number of, of movies after that where he had prominent roles, but really for me, hit the three movie arc for him 
uh, of the career as Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, and then Ransom here. Um, and I enjoy him and everything that I see him in. I think he's a very talented, uh, very talented actor um, and probably confusing why he hasn't, uh, you know, been in, in more, uh, at least in a more prominent uh, aspect. But really, the, my last thought on him, and then I'm curious what you guys think about this, if I've got this right, um, you know, his filmography, really, he didn't do a whole lot of anything up until like he started and he had a couple of things one in 78 one in 88 and then 92 93 94 with forrest gump burns bright through to the early 2000s and then basically has disappeared over the last uh you know the from 2010 on i mean it, it kind of seemed to me everything every story i've heard he has a band the mm-hmm. lieutenant dan band um he does a lot of uso stuff it kind of seems like you know he got put in a lot of stuff, made his money, and then was happy to just do CSI New York, right? Like, why why work all the time if you have enough money to live off of and you have your band and you do the things that you do and he didn't need much else? It's kind of the, the obvious thing that I've seen. My brother-in-law, I didn't realize that he was such a humanitarian, but my brother-in-law did uh, for Christmas, actually, last year, say he didn't want any any gifts or anything. He just wanted donations to the Gary Sinise Foundation. Yeah. Um, and so that brought my attention to his humanitarian work. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it could be he's made his money and he is happy just giving back and, uh, you know, make, making TV, doing TV instead of, uh, instead of film. 197 episodes of CSI New York. I'm sure he made a lot of money yeah. on those 197 episodes. Yep. Still, still banking uh, on the syndication. I'm sure. Yep. Brad, any last thoughts on him from you? No, I don't really have any more thoughts about him, but one thing I wanted to say about the movie, and I guess it, his role kind of plays a part in this is that, uh, I was listening to you two yesterday uh, while I was doing some chores around the house. And for whatever reason, this thought started going through my head is that for, for music fans, I, I would say that Ransom is a U2 version of a Wilco song. And if the Wilco song is like prisoners, you know, just kind of similar stuff, just, you know, raunchier, harder, darker i i think that ransom is the version of this that makes it palatable to make this type of film as marketable as they did when they did and there's nothing wrong with that obviously u2 is one of the biggest rock bands on the planet or at least used to be and you know made probably hundreds of millions of dollars in in the process but this film to me was just kind of a watered down version of that and I think that was as you guys were talking about Sinise, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because that's kind of what I thought of his role. Like there were some things I think he did really well. There was a few moments of like, OK, like this guy really is this much of a, a psychopath or a sociopath or however you want to describe him for what he's doing or he really, you know, is, is going to do whatever he can to get this money. Um, there's a few scenes, you know, obviously towards the end where he um ends up turning on them for the money. There's a scene where he uh, throat chops, uh, um, what's his name? Leave. Yeah, Schreiber. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a few moments like that. And even um, some of the times when he's trying to be normal in society and do his job, but you know the the duplicity that's going on with him there. So you know, I think there's a few moments, but overall, as I was reflecting on it, I was like, 
it makes sense that he's in a show like CSI New York. Like you don't have to be an amazing actor to do that, but you know, he's good enough to, to, um, maybe, you know, hold on to that show or be a star of that show where they're not going to use a, um, a huge movie star to, to do something like that. So I think that they could have gone darker with this. They've could, they could have gone edgier. Um, I understand why they didn't. I don't think this film would have made the money that it did. Um, had they, had they done that, but that's kind of how I picture his role too. It's just kind of a watered down version of a, uh, you know, kidnapping group team leader or whatever, however you want to describe what he was. Yeah. I mean, $80 million was the budget, which is actually insane for 1996 that this movie cost that much, but it made over 300 million. So made its money. And then some, I don't think we really need to sit and talk about Ron Howard. We've talked about him plenty on this podcast and go back and check out our other episodes talking about him. Um, do you guys want to get into favorite scene? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. What was your guys' favorite scene from ransom? Well, I'll go first because Brad just talked about it. Actually, I thought this is the scene I'm going to absolutely point out because it was uh, it again just I, it caught me right, and I was like, "That was well done." And it was Gary Sinise throat punching uh, yeah, Shriver. <laughs> yeah. Just the every all the chaos going around there, and they're like, "We're done. We're doing this. We're doing that." And he just like bam throat punches and puts him on the ground. Um, I thought that that entire scene was particularly well done as he tried to remain the calm in the storm of this group of people he brought together to do this heinous thing. And they're all second guessing and he has to, to be the bad guy leader in it. And so uh, that actually was my favorite scene. I, I think for me, I'm going to go to the uh, um, the news broadcast where he puts the money on the table and he makes his proclamation of, you know, I'm, I'm turning the tables on you and I'm going to use this money as a, a bounty on you. Um, was it the right call? I mean, you know, should he have done it? Probably not. Did it end up working in the context of this story? Yes. But I guess what I, where I like it is I think he realized that I could just go along with this. I could give this person their money. And if I do, I'm going to make the easy call, but my son's going to die. I'm never going to see my son again. And this guy's going to get away with my money. And I appreciate that. Um, if that's truly what he believed, it, this is what you absolutely have to do. You know, if, if you believe if I go through these motions, I'm going to, uh, lose my, my son, uh, then, yeah, I, I applaud him for this. You know, Delroy Lindo very flippantly says I got seven out of 10 kids back. Well, (laughs) you know, I I don't know about either of you, but if I hear that I have a 30% chance of losing my kid, if I just go through the motions, I'm going to risk that, you know, something like this could flip the script. Does it make it 50-50 at that point that I'm going to lose my kid? Maybe. But at the same time, why do I want to roll the dice on a 7 out of 10 when you could take a chance that something else is going to work? So I, I kind of applaud him that uh, he saw Elaine to uh, to take control of the situation, and it ended up working. So so good on him, and uh, uh, I applaud the 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 balls that it took to do something like that. Uh, I think, I think the best scene in the movie was when he turns on the other kidnappers, um, just watching him kind of even the money withstanding. I mean, that's what clicks, right? Is like, he could, he could put this all together and he could be the one that saved him and then he'll get paid. But like without, even without the money playing into it, 
he had no other choices. Like he was about to go down because those people will give him up in a heartbeat, right? Like this, this is not, maybe his girlfriend won't, but uh, Lev Schreiber absolutely would. He lost his brother. He's, he's rolling over on him and then the drunk. So like he's standing over in that laundromat and he's just kind of thinking through, thinking through, puts it together. And then he sends the call out of, you know, whatever officer needs help. And it's like, Oh man, like this is about to happen. Um, and just, I, th- I thought he did a really good job acting in that. Uh, the way he puts those guys down and then he gets hit by the girl. And there's just kind of that moment where they're staring at each other and you're like, does he care about her? Is he going to, no, he doesn't like bank, like puts her down. Like I thought that was just really, really, I thought that was the best scene of the movie. And that I think turns it on its head too. Um, so again, I don't think there's like twists in this movie of like, who's the mystery bad person. It's just twists of like, well, that's never happened in a kidnapping movie before. I've never seen that in this kind of thrill. I've never seen that before. Like, I think that's what makes this movie stand out above others. It's just that they decided to do some things that other movies in this genre did not. Um, and showing that, I thought, was a really good... Um, I, I like how you uh, you hold that against him of, does he care about her? And then he shoots her when she, one, one had already shot him, and two, was still holding a gun, looking like she's probably going to shoot again. I guess like nope he doesn't care he shot her <laughs> I guess yeah I, I didn't yeah that the way I just meant like is he gonna give her a chance to walk away like you're, you're just not sure what's gonna happen next um and really you're just waiting for his moment but yeah uh favorite lines I mean there were some just great dialogue I, yeah. I think I, without putting like a quote on any of them the dialogue just how fast it was back and forth between you know Sinise's character Shaker and uh between Gibson's character Tom Mullen leading up to Sinise firing the bullet above the kid's head. Oh yeah. Um, when they are just going back and forth up and up and up and up and up. Um, that's probably my favorite dialogue. There's not particularly a line that jumps out to me from it. Um, but I, I think that that would be uh, somewhere in there. My favorite dialogue. Yeah. I, I'd have to give that a second vote. It's the most intense part of the film. And I think it's the one that really stands out. Um, when you talk about the, the back and forth between the two characters. Yeah. We're three for three. Um, that was the best to me. Um, any single great line is those you're going to have to ask yourself, is this Jimmy Shaker day that, uh, that, that was probably, but yes, the, them going back and forth on that phone call. Uh, I think was the best and that'll do it guys. That will wrap up our conversation of ransom. Uh, thank you, Brad, for picking this uh, first and foremost and, uh, going the extra mile to make sure that we could keep this pick. Um, next week, big change, big shift from ransom. We're going to be doing three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, the group pick for the month of November and buckle up. Cause it's, it's going to be quite the ride when we talk about that one. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. And other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time.